What's up, fellas? How's it going? Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Skycoach. Skycoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. With 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. That's why um, at Broken Arrow, we use Skycoach. It's the best thing I could do for my offensive line uh, and to help out the offensive coordinator when I get to look at it on the sideline. Again, with the butt shot that comes in, immediately after that play is done, I can look at it as soon as I want. Uh, I can hook it up to a TV on the sidelines like we do to show our kids, and I can relay those messages up to the OC who's looking at the wide shot. So makes it really good for us and, and uh, really allows us to make some good in-game adjustments. Uh, don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Sky Coach is the market leader in sideline replay. You can go visit them at myskycoach.com. We are also sponsored by Sideline Power. Um, Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally-ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offerings, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for any and every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com. You can email them at info at sidelinepower.com or give them a call at 800-496-4290. Again, guys, don't forget, uh, go check out my my course on CoachTube, um, uh, uh, installing and running weak power. And you can also uh, check out a bunch of other courses on CoachTube as well. Right now, um, I'm looking at Gus Malzon's course. Uh, over the no huddle offense uh, kind of in the middle of it still still haven't finished it out yet um, obviously it's over the summer so hanging out with the family a little bit as well in the off time but uh, it's been great get to go through it get to look at at how he has designed his offense and how he can use up tempo in that offense so really cool get to broaden my horizons on that uh, obviously me and coach walls we really love the free stuff on youtube which is is why we put it out there for you guys and and there's a lot of guys out there that do the exact same thing but the really cool part about coach tube uh, for me and coach walls is uh, that there's it's an entire course over whatever you want to learn about so if i want to learn about gus malzahn's offense i don't have to go to a bunch of different videos and find them and and find them from different games and then sort through all those plays it's all set up uh, by Coach Malzon or whoever, whatever course it is, is set up for you to learn that, and it's all in one area uh, with these courses on Coach Tube. So I've really enjoyed that, and, and I'm enjoying looking through the many, many courses uh, over offense. You know, for me to look through what else I'm going to learn through this summer. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Kurt Hines. Coach Hines is the head coach at Coronado High School in Coronado, California. Listen as we talk with Coach Hines about the importance of setting and maintaining a high standard of excellence, how to remain active in your team's strength and conditioning program, and about some of the motivational videos that he produces on Twitter and on YouTube. You can follow Coach Hines on Twitter at Coach Hines CHS. Hope you guys enjoy. Perfect. Well, we're here with uh, Coach Hines. Coach, we, we're uh, really excited that you, you took the time all the way out in California, took the time to uh, talk some football with us. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure our, our listeners have heard of you before, but um, if you wouldn't mind just taking a little bit of time and, and talking about, you know, kind of your path to, to where you are now in coaching. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I, as you just mentioned, I, I love the chance to talk about football and our passions whenever I get the chance. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here. 
Um, I just wrapped up my 20th year of coaching high school football. I uh, started back in New Hampshire my first 17 years um, and uh, started on a whim. I, 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 after playing college football, my uh, a teammate and I were asked to coach a, a flag football Special Olympics team. And that's when I had that aha moment where I was like, wow, this, this is, you know, see, seeing those, those young children. Anyway, it was fifth through eighth grade, uh, young men and women with special needs, seeing them catch a ball or, or pull a flag and seeing that, that excitement, that's what kind of caught, you know, the fire for me. Um, so what happened was when I graduated college, I reached out to uh, the local high school coach where I was teaching and said, listen, I'm not looking for a paid position. I just want to help out in any way I can. And uh, he actually had a, a head freshman coaching position open. So uh, I, I was a head freshman coach for seven years. And uh, two of those years had no assistance. So kind of baptism by fire where I would you know, be, be forced into learning every position. And, and I'm not claiming to know every position well, forced into knowing it well enough <laughs> to coach it and um at the end of every season he the head coach said hey come on to varsity and i really even didn't have aspirations to even go to the varsity at that time i said no i'm, I'm good I'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing down here and coach there was a very successful program we had a lot of you know a lot of wins and he was a great man that you know had a passion for not just football but but empowering young men so i learned a lot of great things from him and then uh coached in my own town for one year and then uh, just didn't see eye to eye with the head coach in that situation. It, it had nothing to do with X's nose, but just uh, treating young men a certain way. So um, I applied for a head coaching job. Uh, my wife was working as a secretary at a brand new high school. And she said, hey, the, you know, the head coaching position is open. And <laughs> she, my, my wife is my greatest support, and my greatest blessing. And so honey, I appreciate that, but I'm not qualified to be a head varsity coach. Um, but she said it can't hurt to, to apply, so I applied for it, and <laughs> by divine intervention, got the job. And uh, it, it was a brand new high school, so my first year we had no, we didn't have seniors yet. Wow. So my first my first year we had uh, really building it from the ground up, and you know I, I I say this often, and it's a fond memory of mine. But you know you know coach after any game, win or lose, what 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 do the players and coaches say to each other? You know, they they always say good game, right? Right. Well, we were so bad. We were so bad our first year that no one even lied to us. They <laughs> they walk through and shake hands, and they would say, "Coach, beautiful field, great great stadium." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "My God, we're we're that bad that they're not even gonna lie to us." So, uh, so we 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 got our teeth kicked in the first the first year every week every week. Second year we had seniors. We won two games, and then we won five games the following year. My last four years as a head coach in New Hampshire, we were we were blessed enough with a lot of support from the community, and and I had some amazing coaches on my staff um, and young men. Where we we had uh, 144 young men in the program, which for for Northeast football in New Hampshire was was a, a big accomplishment. So we we had created a culture where kids wanted to play, and uh, three out of the last four years we went to the state championship each time in a higher division. So. Uh, I was in a situation where I thought, you know what, this is my final year there. We were 11 and 0, had, had made it to we lost, but made it to the Division One state championship. And I thought, this is where I'm going to retire. And then my wife and I got a phone call from our oldest daughter. We have four children, and uh, she had moved out here to California and gone to San Diego State. And she got married, and she called and said she was pregnant. So we uh, we prayed about it, and, and less than two months later, we were driving across country, starting a whole lives over out here in uh, San Diego. So uh, to, without making a long story much longer, I was an assistant at a, at a private Christian school out here for two years. Um, and uh, the opportunity happened uh, to open up at a public school at Coronado in uh, San Diego. So I, I applied for the head coaching job knowing no one out here. Um, and I'm uh, blessed to say that I was, I was given the opportunity to be the head coach at Coronado. And it's funny because Coronado High School is 100 years old, but we're, we're in a situation where this past season I only had two returning starters, and those those young men were the only two players in the entire program that had been in the program for four years. So it's rebuilding the entire culture once again 
Um, sure. But that's something, that's something I, I welcome and, and am passionate about. So, uh, so I apologize if I apologize if I was long-winded there, but that that's the the, the short and sweet of it, if you will. How no. I get into coaching? No, I love I love that, and and like you said, it sounds like you know you did a great job of building that that first program. So it shouldn't be it should be uh, you know something that you've done before. But I'd kind of like to go back to that. That's that's um that's a quick little turnaround to take a team that that didn't have a football program, and then all of a sudden you know within uh, five or so years you're going to the state championship multiple times. Um, when when you were going into that, what was you know what was the thought process behind that? Did you know, hey, this is how I want to build the culture, or was it something that you know just kind of through trial and error, something you built up? I would assume uh, being the head coach of a freshman team would have would have helped with that quite a bit. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, and, and the more I reflect on it, and, and the more opportunities I have to do, you know, podcasts or speaking engagements, um, you know, it kind of forced you to really reflect on, on where you've been and how you got to where you are, and. Um, I, I always want to keep going back to saying any success we had, and, and you know as well as I do, is never a single player or a single coach. So, so we were blessed with amazing, amazing young men and, and support from the communities and everything like that. But for, for, for me, creating a culture has always been a passion of mine because I, I, I think co- coaching high school football is not much different than raising a successful family or teaching. I, I teach elementary school, you know, teaching my fourth graders. In that, if your if your wife and your children know that you absolutely love them and will die for them, and, and your players and your students know that you absolutely love them, not not as a pawn in our in our giant scheme of what we want to accomplish, but as, as a team, as a family, as a unit, um, that, that they will bend over backwards for you because they know you you do the same for them. Um, when I when I applied for the coaching job in Bedford, it was funny because uh, this is back to New Hampshire. I remember the, the principal and the athletic director said in my first interview, they said, if you, if you do get the job, how long will it take you to, be, uh, to build a successful program? And I remember saying to them, within three or five years, we'll be in the state championship. Um, and they both laughed at me. And, and I'll never forget it. And it, it wasn't a demeaning, and it wasn't like I had to prove them wrong. It was just a, a naive statement by myself. Uh, but it came to fruition that it was, it was our uh, – fourth year that we made it to the state championship um and and i think that's something that you know it could be said for anything in life that more more often than not people will live up to the expectations you have for them you know if you tell a young child over and over again that they're going to fail at something they're going to start to believe that you know and and that they'll they'll have more shortcomings than they will successes and i think for for the players you know we, we we had an energetic staff we had a staff that was willing to work hard and sacrifice and, and lead by example so when we told them that we were you know and I, I think every coach in the nation says this you know we tell our young men no one's going to outwork us we're going to train harder and smarter than everyone else and i think you should i think you should tell your players that as long as you're putting in that work to make sure you know it comes true so we uh we we, we had that success and you know our first year we went to the state championship uh, or the first year that we made it to the state championship in division three we uh, the following year got bumped up to Division Two, and uh, so that 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 was kind of our, our back against the wall from square one once again. But we welcomed the challenge and made it to the state championship that year. And then our first year going to Division One, my uh, still to this day the greatest athlete I've ever coached in my 20 plus years was uh, <laughs> a little little kid, a little kid, 165 pound, uh, adopted from South Korea. And uh, he had moved into town from the Midwest somewhere, and all the players were talking about this great football player they had heard about. So I, I was expecting to see some farm bred, you know, sure, six two, six five, <laughs> you know, beast of a young man. And it was in, it was during spring baseball, so I, I walked around in the mini gym and asked someone if, if they knew where this kid Michael was. And they pointed him out, and I thought, oh God, the joke's on me. This <laughs> this kid is he's not going to do much. But he ended up. Uh, he had all the intangibles as far as character and hard work, but he, he was just explosive. He, he was a dynamic player. He had a relentless work ethic. And uh, so, so our first year in Division One, his father came to me and said, hey, coach, we're being relocated to South Lake Carroll, Texas. And my heart just sank. And I thought, no, you know, Michael was going to be a senior. And uh, he said, well, you know, all these families offered for him to, to stay, to, to, to live with them for the season. I said, yes, 
yes, yes, yes, please do that. <laughs> so he said, great, let me, let, me, let me talk to my wife and we'll, we'll confirm with you tomorrow. And uh, we knew this family well and we went to church with them. So he called back later that night and he said, coach, just one more question. And I was, I was elated once again because I thought he was going to be with us for the season. And he said, if it was your son, what would you do? And my heart sank again. And I said, Jim, he's got to go with you. I said, family's got to come first. So we go to Division One and we lose our, our, our best athlete. And then about three weeks later, I was, uh, this is during the summer, I was coaching in a, a New Hampshire, Vermont Shrine football game. And our starting left tackle, who's 6'8", about 300 pounds, called to say he had to have double knee surgery. Jeez. So I'm like, oh, you're wow. kidding me. You know, but uh, – so, so we, we ended up going to Division One and, and uh, it has great success there. That was our first year in Division One. We didn't make it to the playoffs that year, but uh, I think we ended up, you know, I think it was seven and three or something like that. Um, and then the following year, we, we made it to Division One. And, and I, I think the fun thing for me has been, with, with all due respect to, to Texas football and California football and Florida football, having coached now on both coasts, from New Hampshire and California, it, it confirms for me more and more that football is football is football, no matter where you are. You're, you're going to have, you know, certain communities that embrace it more and certain communities that kind of – I was reading something on Twitter not too long ago that uh, – I think it was Chris Forum. I'm sure you follow him as well. But yeah. he said there was some town that I, – I, I didn't – I don't remember what – town it was from but I thought man wouldn't that be a great place to live but in this small community whenever a child's born they'd give him a little toy football whenever a young man's born and I thought man wouldn't that be great and I'm convinced more kids where I'm coaching now are handed a little toy surfboard as opposed, as opposed to a football but uh it's you know football is football I think if you have a passion for it as a coach as a player um I think you can you can share that passion and be successful wherever you go um you know it'll take time always, but that's something I definitely believe. Coach, I think, you know, you have a, a dynamic personality like that. It, it sounds like a lot of kids, you know, can be, can be drawn to that. So I think what you're saying is, is a lot of truth. It doesn't matter where you're at as long as, you know, they, they find the right man for the job or, you know, you're doing your job as a coach to be able to, you know, one, build that relationship with that kid. And then number two, make sure you always have that kid's best interest in mind. So you telling that the uh, South Korean kid to go to uh, South Lake Carroll may, may have, have hurt you in the, in the short term, but honestly, I'm sure it helped you out a lot in the long term because every one of those kids could look at you and say, you know what, he really cares about kids and families and, and stuff outside of just winning ball games. No, that, that's a great point. And, and, and I am happy to say, <clears throat> that Michael, uh, I, I don't even think he's on Twitter, but Michael Gardner, uh, he, he is his name. He ended up uh, going to South Carroll, getting a concussion during spring ball as a defensive back. So they kept him on the offensive side of the ball. Not not the offensive, quote-unquote, safer, but they wanted to limit his reps. Because he, you know, I thought, gosh, here's a stud in New Hampshire. He's going to go to South Carroll and, and just get lost. And uh, back to what, what we said as far as football being football, he ended up starting down there his senior year. Um, just played one side of the ball. He played, he played you know, slot back and uh, did some special teams. But I think it was two or three weeks that he got the uh, ESPN High School Player of the of the, of the week in in Texas. So so he ended up. It, it was a blessing, you know, for us having him go on and have that success as well. It was a great blessing for he and his family as well. Hey, coach. So, um, you know, you're building this program. They've said, hey, um, how how long? is it going to take you to start winning? You say, Hey, within five years, we're going to win a state championship. And now they say, all right, now you got to go hire some coaches to go get that done at a, at a school that, um, you know, this is their first year to ever have football. So what are your, what are you thinking as far as hiring coaches at a, at a brand new school, a, you know, brand new football program? Uh, what are you looking for? And, and maybe even just in, maybe not even just in that instance, but in general, you're a head coach, you're hiring some, some assistant coaches. What are some things that you look for, uh, when hiring these guys? No, that, that, that's a fantastic question. And it's funny because uh, it didn't play out that way. Um, even though school, the school had been there for one year before I took the head coaching job. So the, the year prior to me accepting the head coaching position, they had a freshman slash JV team. Oh, okay. So I inherited four coaches that had been on staff. And... These four coaches had played college football together, three of them. 
they had, you know, Division One play University of New Hampshire. They had known each other for years. So even though I was the head coach, I was coming in as an outsider, so to speak, to some really strong personalities. You know, two two of the guys. One was a short little guy, but uh, just just a jacked little short guy. But the other two were that six three, six four, you know, two seventy, just cut, just just chiseled. So uh, it, it was intimidating for me, and it, it was a lot of growth that came from me. Um, so I, I had a friend of mine that I taught with for years who had never coached the game of football, but had coached baseball. Um, so I wanted to have someone not, not in my back pocket that I, and I, even though they say that to the team, because he wanted to have someone I knew and trusted on the staff. So I, I had asked him to join me and, uh, he ended up staying on staff for, for the whole time I was there and is still a, a member of the staff now, which I love. Um, but that those first two years, we, we, we had some, uh, some real battles, like my, my coaches and I, um, and it, and it was things from how we treat players to how we, you know, schedule our practices. Um, and it really forced me to, to grow up and mature, even though I was the head coach, a lot faster than maybe I would have if I hand selected or if I hired everyone. Um, simple, you know, some examples were I told the coaches we were never going to have coaches meetings on Sundays. And they looked at me like I had three heads. And I said, you know, my wife and I at the time had four young children. Now they're all, you know, 20 years and older now. But I said, listen, I, I, I hate, I cringe whenever I hear coaches or wives talk about football widows. I'm like, you know, if we're, if we're truly trying to help young men become better young men. But then we're putting our family on the back burner during the season. We're, we're, in my opinion, we're, we're lying to ourselves and we're, we're being frauds to the kids. So I said, we're not going to do that. And they were like, well, we have to. I said, we're not. I said, you can watch as much filming as you want on Sunday on your own time. I'll do the same, but we'll spend that time on Friday night after the game or Saturday morning before lifting and practice. Um, and it sounded great when I said it to them. And then when, when you look at the first season when we lost every game, they all looked, you know, all those eyes are staring back at me saying, we told you so. So I said, guys, as long as I'm here, we're not going to have meetings on Sundays. So like I said, second year, we won two games. They're like, coach, we need to. I said, we're not. And then the third year, we won five games. So it took about three or four years for them to believe that you could be successful and still have balance with your family. Um, you know, the thing was, I, I have a no swearing policy. I did then and I do now as a head coach where if, if the young man swears, they do 25 push-ups. If it becomes a problem, then, then they may not be part of our program. And as a coach, I said the same thing. I said, if we swear, we do, we do push-ups in front of the players. And they're like, well, this is stupid. It's football. And I, and, and I said, guys, some of you are high school teachers yourselves. If a kid in class swears, you're not going to swear at them. I said, just because we're out in the field, it doesn't make it a different you know, it shouldn't make it a different situation. Um, so it, it, it was, it was a, a, a tough situation for me, you know, really asserting my belief and my passion and my vision, if you will, um, on some guys that had known each other for years. Um, had to get rid of a coach uh, second year because he didn't believe in the philosophy I did as far as, you know, how we, how we address kids when they have problems. And I, I'm, I'm a yeller and a screamer and my veins, like most of us, pop all the time and but I'm never going to swear to a kid. I'm never going to put them down or be derogatory. So if I'm yelling and screaming, it's to build them up or try to empower them or, you know, to create some passion and excitement. Um, so, so yeah, to answer your question, it, it was not me handpicking, you know, at that time. Now in Coronado, where I am now in California, um, talk about a humbling experience. Um, I retained five coaches that had been on the staff for years. Two of them applied to the head coaching job. Whoa. So, yeah, one had been there for eight years. Uh, he's, a, he's a retired, a semi-retired naval dentist who, who played at Notre Dame. Um, one uh, retired FBI agent who uh, had been there for 15 years. So when I had my first meeting with them as the coaches, after, after you know, accepting the job and once I was told it could become public, um, I sat down with them in the coach's office, and I started off by saying to them, hey, listen, you know, if I, if I were in your shoes, I'd be pissed. If I were in your shoes, I, I would, I don't know what I would do, you know? And, and I wasn't saying that to just make them feel, or, or to make them feel good, but I was just trying to be transparent saying, I kind of get how you're feeling, you know? But I said to them, I said, I'm not interviewing for the job anymore, but if you want to stay on staff, and I would love for you to, if you want to stay on staff, here are some things that are definite. We're definitely going to run this offense because this is what I believe in. 
and I was open to defenses because I'm more of an offensive guy. This is definitely what we're going to do as far as strength and conditioning, as far as certain workouts, time. We're going to do it during the season as well, and, and here's why. Here's my mission statement, all that stuff. Um, and I, I said, what I, would, what I would love to have you guys do is give me the benefit of the doubt for one year. I said, because guys, I said, and this is what I was talking to the coaches, I said, 99% of the people in the interviews, and this, in my opinion, could be for football or for any position in the country, 99% of people are going to say the right things. You know, sure. especially in sports, they're going to talk about character. They're going to talk about the fundamentals. And I said, it's when that the proverbial crap hits the fan that you see true colors come out. When you start losing and there's bickering and infighting and all that. And I said, you know, guys, give me, give me the season. I said, I guarantee you within a month from now, if not sooner, you're going to say, this guy's a fraud. Or you're going to say, well, this guy is who he says he is. Um, and it, it was a humbling experience because all five of them stayed on staff. Uh, four out of the five wrote me, uh, two of them were emails, two were text messages, uh, really, you know, humbling, nice emails or letters saying, Hey coach, you know, we know why you're here. And they've bought into to what my vision is. And I can't, I can't express how much of a blessing they are because, and I, and I use them all the time to my young men. When I have a young man that wants to play wide receiver and he's not a wide receiver and we need him at tackle or we need him at a different position, I'll often bring up, uh, one of the two coaches that applied for the job. And I said, guys, th this is a perfect example of, of selfless leadership. You know, guys that have passion that, that want to be the head coach, didn't get the position, but still are on staff and because they love the game and love the team. So uh, that was interesting also where I had five coaches already, you know, established in the, in the program. Um, and, and interestingly enough, when I, when I, after I shared the definites, the things that I was bringing to the table. I had asked them, tell me what's something that you've done in Coronado for years and you don't want to let go. Something you're passionate of. And uh, interestingly enough, with, with all due respect to, to the my predecessors, um, they, they said, we need a change. We, we, we need some excitement. We need some passion. We need, so that they were hungry for it also. They, they were eager for, you know, so, so, so some new blood, so to speak. Well, plus with, with, with the second job, you know, you've at least got a little bit of, of um, you know, whatever, big ups behind your name a little bit and being able to say, look, I took this team and, and i am been to the state finals, you know, this many years where with that first job, you're going into, like you said, guys that have already been on staff and, and they don't know you from anybody. And, and like you said, those first two years, you don't win any games. I would assume you've got to be, you know, questioning yourself a little bit, maybe, maybe not at all, but. Um, they definitely are if, if you're going, you know, over and then only two wins. And, you know, like you said, you don't have any clout behind your name and, um, and trying to get them to buy into, hey, I just just trust me. And in a couple more years, we're going to be going to state uh, finals. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'll be completely transparent with you. Those, those first two years, when my first two years ever as a head coach in New Hampshire, um, Talk, talk about questioning, you know, gosh, am I, am I lying to myself? Do I know anything about football? You know, I think as a player in high school and in college, we think we know a certain amount. And after, after you know, my first two, two years of coaching, there wasn't a week that went by that I wasn't either, and I'm being honest, tearfully talking to my wife or on my knees praying or sleepless nights or a combination of all three because – yeah, it, it, it is. It's a humbling thing when you have such a passion and a fire and you're getting beat up week after week after week. It, it was tough. It was really, really tough. But like, like most things in life, it's those, those, those valleys and those trials and those tribulations that we realize years later have given us the strength that we have now. What were some of the things, Coach, that you kind of you know, hang your hat on? You'd said you, you run a certain style of offense. I know following you on Twitter, you're, you're a huge weight room and, and workout guy. What were some of the things that maybe you, you kind of, you know, developed during those, those tough years and all of a sudden you saw the fruits of your labor later on? Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing I have to go back to is just the personal relationships. You know, I, I do, you mentioned the strength and conditioning. I love working out. Unfortunately, I love eating too. That's why I don't look like I love working out as much as I'd like to. But, uh, Me too. I, I love working out. And one of the reasons I, I love working out with my team is because I love 
my high school coaches. They, they were and are great men. But I only saw 90% of them for the three and a half months of the year we had football. During the offseason, I didn't, I didn't even see any of them. My head coach and my defensive coordinator would open up the weight room, but then they'd sit in the, the cafeteria and drink their coffee and eat their donuts. And, and there, there was no – we weren't working out with our coaches. It wasn't a side-by-side thing. I think one of the, one of the greatest things I kind of hang my hat on is not just being there working out with them, but that's when you have so much more time to connect with them. And, you know, I, I might choose a day where I'm doing squats or power cleans or deadlifts, whatever it is with a group of two young men and in that time I get to know them and they get to know me more and I love when they see me struggle I love when I look at them and say guys I need a spot on this and that they know I'm not kidding around I'm not smiling saying if you don't give me a good spot here I'm hurting myself so they realize that I'm relying on them just as much as they're relying on me um so I think it's those those personal relationships that you develop those bonds that not always but hopefully when they get invited to a party and they know that someone brings out some alcohol and they're doing stuff. And, I, and I'm not naive enough to think that my guys don't make foolish decisions like, like we all do. But I'm hoping that through those relationships, more and more young men will say, you know, I'm going to avoid this party tonight or I'm going to avoid going to this situation because I don't want to let coach down. Because I know for myself, I, I used to, to drink and get arrested all the time in high school. It, it was just foolish. I just loved to fight. Now I put my parents through hell. And, 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 I, and I still apologize to them. But <laughs> oddly enough, I never, I never did it during the football season. Why? Because I had too much respect for my, and I love my parents, but I think so often we, and obviously I'm sure the two, two of you understand the platform we have as coaches. Yeah. Sometimes kids take what we say, even though our parents may have told us the same thing for years, if a coach says it, they take it as gospel. So I didn't, I, I didn't want to ever have to look at my coach in the eye and say, I can't play this Friday because I got busted at a party, or I can't play this Friday because I got, you know. So I, I, I think developing those relationships with the young men, so when they are having struggles with a girlfriend or their parents or in the classroom, they know they can come to you and, and share. So that, that's one of the things um, I, I think that, that makes the biggest difference is just developing those relationships. You mentioned working out with the kids. Is that, is that something that you've always done? Is that something you do every, um, every workout or, or how does that work? Because I would assume um, for someone that's not used to seeing that, like I've never seen that, you know, that would be a little bit eye opening to maybe other coaches or, or people that haven't been around that. Yeah. You, you know, it's, so it, it is something I've always done. Uh, but to get back to the one of the questions that, you know, whether or not I questioned myself my first two years as a head coach. So, I had uh, three of the coaches that I inherited my first year um, would see me working out with the guys and they're like, coach, you're, you're acting like one of the kids. And I looked at them. I said, yes, I am. Yeah. A hundred percent. I said, I'm always going to be hooting, hooting and hollering and having fun and yelling and screaming because that's who I am. And I want them to see that. And their concern was, well, what happens when we're in a game and we're really down and they see you really down. I said, they're not going to. I, I said, I'm not going to change with the tides. I'm always going to be intent and on fire and excited and, and energetic, but you'll never see me quit in the weight room or, or, or and I'm not, I'm not making, I don't want to make myself sound like I'm a, some big tough guy because I'm not. But as far as my attitude and my approach to coaching in the weight room on the practice field, um, I, I, I get amped up and I get on fire. And, and I did, there was a, about a two week period, my first year coaching where because these other guys I inherited said, nah, you shouldn't be working out with them. You're just there to watch them. Where I did what they said. And it just didn't sit right. It just, there, was, there was a pit in my stomach where I'm like, this isn't who I am. So I also learned very early on that we can all learn things from other coaches. But if we're going to be successful, in my opinion, we need to be true to ourselves. So after that two-week period of not feeling right in my own skin, I was like, forget it. I'm, I'm going back to being who I am. So. What happens now is when, when I'm in the weight room, if the numbers are low enough and if I have enough coaches in the weight room, um, I will say, hey, coach, can you take these three players or these two players and I'll take these guys and I'll take these guys and I get my coaches working out with them. Now, some of them are not in the shape or the age where they can or want to work out. And I'll say, listen, you don't have to do a single exercise if you don't want, but I want you watching their form. And a lot of that was when I got this new job, 
taking time in the weight room with my coaches per their request saying, hey, this is how you do a power clean and breaking it down from every step that we teach them from the triple extension to the pull to the drop to everything. Um, when I was in New Hampshire, when we got up to where we had 140 plus players, I'll be honest, my, my workouts were I would get a sweat going, but that's because I was not literally running in the weight room, but going from one station to another to another, um, spotting the kids. And every so often, I would demonstrate and do a few things with them. But in a perfect world, um, I think number-wise, you'd have too many kids in the weight room to really work out with them enough. But I, yeah. I think the kids love it. You know, I, I've got this one <laughs> – we're not a big team at all. Let me preface it with that. We, like I said, we only had two returning players last year and, uh, or two returning starters, rather. This year, we have one lineman who's about six, seven and a half, two eighty-five. He's an amazing young man, and he's a beast in the weight room. Now, we, we've got to get him to be nasty. We, we, have, we have to teach him to be nasty in the field, and his feet are getting better, but they're not where they need to be yet. But the reason I bring up Cal, and he's an amazing young man. He's one of our captains this year. Um, he was joking around the other day. We, we, we were working out together, and uh, he, he started you know, bench more than I was by a, by a good amount. And uh, he was busting my chops. He says, Cal, I love that. I said, if, if I ever want to be the strongest guy in the weight room, I'm in coaching for the wrong reason. You know, I, I, I want my players to be able to outlift me and everything, especially with the squats and the deadlifts and the clean. But uh, it's, I, th I, th I think like anything else in life, you know, I, I think the kids love if, let's say you have an hour and a half workout with your team. Even if you can only take 20 minutes, I say, hey, just for 20 minutes, I'm working out with you guys doing power cleans. If we can practice what we preach, you know, it's easy for a coach to stand back and, and, and just tell someone that they're running too slowly or tell someone to, to get lower their squats. And, and my knees aren't great. I've had two knee surgeries. Um, which, yes, that, that's my, I'm using the air quotes now, but that's my lame excuse. So I don't go heavy with squats <laughs> anymore. But I'll tell the players, I don't care how heavy they go as long as they get their butt below parallel and they're driving their heels, and you know, the chest is up and they have a nice flat back. So I, I think it's really important for, for coaches to work out with their players. Um, and I think there's nothing better than having at the end of a workout and you break them all down, you're talking to them as a team. I think there's not, not a better feeling than having sweat dripping down your back as well. So they can be like, okay, coach is in this with us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's no question about it. I know at, at Jenks, when I was in Oklahoma, our, our strength coach would always run with the kids. So it didn't matter. I mean, he'd have to gear himself up. And, and honestly, in the summertime, he'd have th three groups. So there were some days he had to run three times, and he would do it every single time. Uh -huh. and he, dude, he, he said the same thing. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get shredded. And he'd cheat. You know, he'd take off early and stuff like that. But he's like, hey, I'm getting old. But he, he'd say the same thing for those kids to, to see that example. And those guys would run through a brick wall for him. And he was one of the, yep. the best strength coaches we had. But I, I think that's kind of the, the paramount ideal. You know, it's – it's hard for me to, to sit there and listen to a guy be a strength coach and, a, and a, a leader of young men if he's 360 pounds and, and fat and overweight. You know, exactly. It, I, think, I think it carries a lot of weight when they, when they see you doing it. You know, not only are you preaching it, you're doing it. It's like anything else in life. You know, it's, it's easy for you to say, you know, you guys shouldn't drink. And then on the weekends, you're hung over all the time. I mean. Exactly. It's it, it carries a lot of weight, Coach. When you when you really practice what you preach, man. I, I completely agree, Coach. You talked you've talked uh, several times, you know, kind of about the faith in your life. As far as you know, you you've talked about praying and praying with your wife and and trying to make decisions that way. And uh, you've talked about that several times. How do you how do you manage that with your team? Because, like you said, you want to be yourself. You want to do you know show the kids who you really are, but then. Obviously, there's certain things you can or, or maybe can't do as a coach as far as uh, faith goes. So how do, you, how do you balance that out when you're talking to your players and, and to your kids? Oh, I, I love that question. I, I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me is, and, and I have to give, give credit to no one here, but, but preface it by saying I don't know who this quote came from, so that's my credit to no one, but I didn't think of this myself. But I, I, had I, I had read a quote one time, or it was a pastor. I wish they were my own words, but I remember hearing or reading one time a, a, a quote that said, always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. You know, and, and what I take from that is, you know, just, just like lifting, just like the offense you're running, the defense, or, or studying film, um, 
that no matter what we say to a young man, they're going to watch our actions. You know, once again, if I'm talking about fueling your body and eating healthy, and then they see me eating donuts all the time, um, the, the, those words are lost on them because they're, I'm not backing it up. So I think the first thing we can do, because I'm, I'm coaching at a, at a public school now, um, is just, just for me personally, because my faith means a lot, means everything to me, is be Christ-like. So when they see me get pissed off at an official, at another coach, at a player, to not approach that in a derogatory way, to not talk behind their back, to face it like a man at the right time, at the right place, in the right situation, in the right way. Have I always done that? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, my, my second year coaching back in New Hampshire, I lost it on another coach, the one I had to get rid of for swearing. Um, and I, I won't go to the whole story, but I was 100% in the wrong. I didn't touch him. I say I didn't swear, but the way I was screaming at him, there was nothing Christ-like, nothing professional about it. So what happened was I ended up calling a team meeting the following Monday. Now my, my athletic director supported me 100%, and he understood why. Um, but I apologized to my team. And when I apologized, I said, listen, I, I did not represent anything we stand for, and I am sorry. And they all started clapping. And I am getting the chills. For me, it was humbling because they, they understood that that's not who I was. They understood that it was out of character for me, and they understood the reason I did it. It still didn't justify what I did. Um, so, so I think one of the things as far as how I share my faith is I try. You know, I'm far from perfect, far, far, far from perfect, but I try to, to live a Christ-like life. Now, I did ask, when I first got the job, I asked the athletic director, we have a shrine at the end of our field where a young man lost his life several years back. I said, can we have, you know, team prayer? And she said, no. And, and she, she's a... She's a believer as well. I know that for a fact. Um, but she said, no, coach, we can't. And I said, well, can I have a moment of silence? And she said, yes, we can. So I told the team, I said, whenever we have a moment of silence, I'm going to be praying. I said, you do what you want. This is not a time to talk to your teammates. It's not a raw, raw moment. But we're going to pay respect, if nothing else, to the young man's family. Um, whenever I meet with a player and his parents in my office, and I do that often, so often I'll say to them, let me ask you a personal question. Do you believe in God? And, and, and I realize that could cost me my job someday, and I hope it doesn't. But what happens is often they say we do. And then I'll say, all right, off the record, can I share something with you? And then I'll, then I'll share, you know, share what I would do. Um, I, I had an experience years ago where a player hurt his knee in a game. Uh, we were walking off the field, the player, his father and I, and uh, they said, Coach, what do we do? And I said, well, you talk to Eric, our trainer, so make sure you see him tomorrow morning. I used it tonight. We'll get the, exit, you know, the MRI or whatever. And, uh, and I said, to them, I said, and we'll, we'll pray for you. And the, they both stopped walking. We're walking off the field and they looked at me and the father says, we're atheists. And like the idiot that I am, I just kind of smiled and said, well, I'll pray for you thinking I was being funny. And they didn't, they didn't crack a smile or laugh. Well, yeah. So I, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm still a fool. Fast forward to about two years after uh, this young man graduated, his father sent me a book length email and saying he, he and his wife, obviously I won't say names, but went through a nasty divorce. And he said, some things you shared with us and, and shared with my son over the years, you know, I want to know where do you go, where do you go to church? So he ended up joining, you know, giving his life, getting baptized um, two years after his son graduated from our program because like an idiot, I opened my mouth. But I think sometimes, you know, God has us be, be fools or at least myself, put, you know, put our foot in our mouth sometimes when, uh, well, maybe we, we, we don't understand the, the reason for it. Um, and, and I do always try to respect, you know, at the same time, other families. Because, you know, in today's day and age, and, and I think, you know, sometimes as a nation, we get too butthurt, you know, over, over, over too no many doubt. things. <laughs> but uh, I, I do at the same time tell my kids, you know, they see it on my Twitter and everything else and, and Instagram or whatnot, that my faith means everything to me. And I'll tell them that I will share with them anything they ever want to know they come to me but I'm not going to preach to them. So I, I also think, you know, when, when we have our team meetings on any day of the week, when, when we meet as a team, you, you can share your heart and share your beliefs without sharing scripture or mentioning Christ's name, but just living in a way that would, would exemplify, you know, what, what our beliefs may be. Coach, that's awesome, man. I, lo I love that message that you're, you're teaching those kids, even if it is public school, you're, you're doing it the right way. I got to ask you too, uh, I'm a huge, you know, military guy, uh, military history guy, being right there in Coronado, kind of the, the home base of the Navy SEALs. 
Yes, sir. Uh, what, what's it like being there? Do you ever use those guys as a resource? I, I would imagine being that close that you can, you can really do some awesome things with uh, the SEAL base being right there. We, we do. You said you're a big military guy. Did you serve as well? I did not. Okay. Just have family well, that was, did, man, and I followed it a lot. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say thank you, but either way. Yeah, no, so, so it's, it's interesting, the, the dynamics of, of the program, because we have a lot of young men who are on the island. And I'm not sure if you've ever been to Coronado. Uh, it's a beautiful island. Now, this wouldn't have changed my accepting job or not, but I found out afterwards that in California, the money doesn't stay in the town or the city you live in. It all goes to Sacramento, then they decide where it goes. Yep. So uh, even, even though our town has a lot of money, school does not. So we, we at the football program have to raise about 95% of our budget wow. um, for yep. buses, for everything. Um, so so we, we have some old school money here. And the challenge of that is, and this is not a knock on the families or the young men, some of them are the greatest young men I've ever coached. But a lot of them turn 16 and get a brand new Lexus. Yep. Or brand new, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing to these guys? <laughs> On the flip side of that, we have, because as you mentioned, the military base, we have a lot of young men who come from blue collar, hardworking mom and dad are both in the Navy or one or the other is. Uh, it, it's a great mix and a blend in trying to get those two different lifestyles, so to speak, to work together. Um, yeah, I, I, I try often. We, we weren't able to do anything last summer because by the time I got, was offered the head coaching position and we had our spring ball, like we hit the ground running. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I, our kids will often go out and work out on the naval base. And I try to have young, uh, not young, but men come in and talk. I'm blessed and fortunate enough where we have uh, right now, one, two, three, four of our coaches are either active duty, Navy or retired. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, just, just that in itself. And you know, we, we had one game this year, um, and, and I'll make this quick. One, one thing, I, I feel like I talk forever, and if I ever get too long-winded, just tell me to shut up. No, no, but we love our, it. That's what we're in here for. <laughs> uh, you, you, got, you guys are awesome. So our, our first game, we got our teeth kicked this year. Um, and, I, and, and part of it was one kid just didn't show up for a Wednesday practice, and, and just because he got to an argument with his girlfriend, and another kid didn't show up for the Washington practice, and it was just – part of rebuilding the culture and the commitment. So it wasn't that we lost that, that had me upset, but it was that the, the lack of, of caring from too many of the young men, not all of them. So I, I had a coaches meeting with the coaches about an hour before film and lifting. And I told them, I said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And this is why. So the coaches knew what the stage I was setting. So I walked into the, to the team room for film and I said, guys, I said, I did not move all the way from New Hampshire to be a part of a program like this. And I was dead serious. Now I was, or I had a serious face. <clears throat> and I said, what I left back in New Hampshire was everything to me. And too many of you guys don't care. I said, I let the administration know, but I'm done. And this is after our first game, our first loss. So I walk out of the room and it was just silent. And I walk back in. I said, another thing. And you could see them just shocked, just, you know, their jaws dropped. I said, imagine if I was serious. And they were like, like the, the kind of breath came back in. I said, guys, here's the point. I said, the only reason I left my program, the only reason I left my program in New Hampshire was because my wife and I had a grandson. That's it. I said, that program meant everything to me, but my why, my passion is my family. I said, guys, I said, I'm never leaving this program until my why changes. I said, but we can lose every game for 10 years and I'm not leaving until someone kicks me out. And I shared with them, I said, some of you, unfortunately, are going to marry the most beautiful girl in the world only because she's beautiful. And then, God forbid, she's going to get cancer or some other disease or an accident. She's going to lose her beauty. And then that's why half the country is you know, divorced. Mm -hmm. I said, we have to understand what a blessing it is to play this game. And so that was premeditated. I knew what I was going to say with that. And then I looked over at one of my young coaches. He's 22 years old, second year in the Navy. And then I said, Coach Wells. And I started to get like, all. Oh, I was getting myself amped up like a pre-game thing. But I was saying, and, and I, had, I, I won't bore you with the details, but I was talking about the sacrifice that he and everyone else in the Navy makes day in and day out. You know, I said, that, that's your why. That's your passion. I said, you guys got to find something, whether it's because you want to use this as a platform to get to college or you want to make sure it's, you, you never look back with any regrets, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, so, so teaching on Coronado or coaching rather, 
teaching is kind of the same thing. But coaching at Coronado and having such a strong military base is not only is it a humbling thing, but it, I'll tell you it's powerful because the, the fighter jets fly over our pra- – we practice on our game field. Wow. And they'll fly mm-hmm. over. Um, and it, it, it's just a powerful thing. It, it's just, you know, it screams America and freedom every single time because uh, <laughs> I, I don't care who we are or how, how loud we can be. When you have that jet flying overhead, you know just to stop talking because you, you're, you're not going to be heard. But it's uh, – it's a, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful reminder of, of the country we live in, just, just a blessing of where we are. Well, and it's a time in our, in our country, you know, in my opinion, that, and not even just kids, just adults, that uh, we forget so easily just how great we have it. And, um, you know, me and Coach Walls, we, we watch uh, all the Jocko Willink stuff, and we've read his book. Yes. And, and my, uh, my brother-in-law has served two tours, and one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. And so – you know, I hear stories from him as well. And, and those guys that are in the military, they seem to, obviously, they get it. They get how well we have it over here. And, and they can really listen to them for a few minutes. And they really bring you back to, man, just how awesome we have it driving to school that's paid for by the government, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I remember back, you know, and, and thank you to your brother. I, I remember back, you know, when I was coaching in New Hampshire, when I was a fr- well, freshman coach, it was the the very first practice we had after the 9-11 attacks. Wow. And yeah. I remember being just, just like it was yesterday, I remember being on that practice field. Now, we, we were like the redheaded stepchild. We had like a little corner of the field, and, you know, it was, it was pitted, and it wasn't a good section at all. But I, that particular year, I didn't have any assistance. Um, and I remember being with my 18 or 20, so, you know, freshmen or so, and – like the the tears welled up in my eye the entire practice just because it was a reminder of how fragile life is, how blessed we are to play this game. And and I'm sure just like the two of you, I've always said football will never, never be just a game to me. I, I, I've had my, my own and too many other lives changed and I've been a part of that and, and I have it reflect on, you know, or it's, it's touched me in a way that, you, you just cherish it. You know, it's just like your own family. You, it, it goes beyond words what that game means to you. So it, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. That's, that's exactly right. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Coach. It, that's, it is just so much more than, than just a game. Um, and, and that was, you know, one of the reasons we were excited to have you on the podcast is because we see you put out things like this um, on, you know, for me on Twitter. I see you put it out on Twitter there a lot, and you've got – Obviously, you built up um, a, a lot of people that that uh, follow you and listen listen to that on Twitter, and I'm sure other on uh, Instagram, different social medias. But uh, when did you kind of get started doing that and, and voicing your your opinions through social media? And and now it's grown. It seems to be a lot of coaches are listening to what you have to say, and I'm sure uh, players are as well. But what kind of got that started, and, and uh, with with you going through that and and kind of shipping that out to not just your team, but to other teams across. Uh, the United States. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. My wife, uh, so I, I, I think I mentioned I teach elementary school. I, I've also painted murals for years. My minor in school was art. Excuse me. So for years, Facebook was my thing, you know, quote, quote unquote, and Instagram. And my wife would say, hey, you need to get on Twitter. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing that whole Twitter thing. And I would use I would use her when whenever we had an away game that she wouldn't come to, or she'd get obviously not be on the bus. She'd get home earlier and watch the news. So I would call her for updates and be like, Hey, who won the Milford game or who won the Pinkerton game or whatever. So finally she's like, you need to get Twitter. And I had done a radio show back in New Hampshire and the host said, coach, what's your Twitter handle? I'm like, ah, I don't have one. He's like, you need to get on. So I ended up getting a Twitter and, and my, my kids taught me how to use it. So I remember it was, <laughs> I'll probably lose a lot of followers when I say this because the digital is not something anyone anyone wants to have. But I remember being in the bathroom. That's all I'll say. Sitting in the bathroom <laughs> on my phone, and uh, I was in New Hampshire. I had something like one thousand eight hundred followers, and I'm like, why are there that many people want to listen to what I have to say or to read? You know, and I thought it was funny. Moved out here to California, and I started doing a few videos, and something with someone I guess struck a chord, and it kind of just exploded into a. a, a pretty large number, you know, for, for what I had expected by any means. Um, I, I think it's amazing because I think, you know, through Twitter, I've been able to do a lot of speaking engagements in, in different parts of the country. Um, 
And I, I think it's just a platform as we teach our young men, you know, what you put out there on social media is going to help open a door or close a door really quickly for you, you know, and, and something you tweet or retweet or like or whatever. Um, and, and I realize, you know, I, and I'm sure, the, I'm sure the same happens for the two of you gentlemen with the podcast and, and as, as grateful as I am to be a part of it today, um, I'm sure you get private messages or direct messages, whatever they're called. And I've had, I don't want to say countless, but I've had a, a, a good number of people that send me messages. I had no idea some of the video I put out that might just strike a nerve with me that really touched to someone else. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity, you know, what you, uh, what you do. I, I thought it was funny because about a week ago, I was scroll, scrolling through Twitter and I was like, wait a minute. Drew Bledsoe followed me. I'm like, this this has to be like a like a not his real account. And uh, he he ended up retweeting one of my videos and sent me a little private message. I was like, that's kind of cool. I selfishly I thought it was cool. And the more I think about it, I felt like a 13 year old schoolgirl. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be so wild by this. <laughs> no, but, uh, it's it's cool. It's I think I think it's cool. great. It, it, it's it's a cool platform because and, and I think you know nowadays that's I, I tell all my players that are serious while playing in the next level to get on Twitter, make sure your profile picture is you either in a shirt and tie or preferably playing football, get your huddle film up there. And I, I think it, it's, it's such a great platform and a free billboard, if you will, of, of what we uh, have to offer. I think we have to offer the world. Well, Coach, there's obviously a lot of positives that come with that, but I'm also curious, uh, and we haven't had too many of these yet, but I'm sure they're to come, uh, maybe after this even, but have you had many negative <laughs> posts uh, uh, directed at you after speaking on something maybe controversial or even something that's not controversial that you're like, I just figured everyone would agree with that, and someone yeah. uh, hit you up with something yeah. like that. <laughs> you, you, you know what it was? There, there were two – I, I – sh- I should stop doing videos because the, most of them are positive. But, but the, the, the two that got me the most hate, if you will, and, and you guys know this as well as I do, you know, if, if you're going to be uh, a coach, whether it's a head coach or not, you need to have thick skin. Right. But uh, I, had, yep. I had put a video out there a while ago just stating my opinion. We would saying, you know, seven-on-seven seven serves its purpose, but it's not real football. And, and, and I know a lot of guys disagree with that, but I would just say, hey, listen, it, 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 there's a purpose for it. But it's not the same. You don't have the big guys up front. And I, I, I joking, jokingly said, I can throw a decent football when there's no one in my face, and I don't feel like I'm someone's going to come from the blind side and knock me out. And I, there, were, there was a lot of support from that. But then there were some people that were saying, "What are you doing?" And I run seven on seven. And this how I get to college, and I'm like whatever. And then the other one, I, I had put something out recently about the, uh, the, 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 the organized walkouts of high schools. And I just said, listen, I, and I even I commended them. I said, I think, you know, these young high school students are, are doing a good thing because they're doing peaceful protests. But I truly believe that after they get their name in the paper or on Twitter or it gets retweeted, nothing's going to change. So I no. had just said in the video, instead of walking out, walk around your school, look for an opportunity to be a different maker and a blessing to others. That, that was one of the ones that I drew Bledsoe uh, retweeted. So I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, there were a good number of people that uh, hated me on that. It, it's funny. I, I, I never get bothered by that. Um, and it, I, I'm not, the only time I ever block someone on social media is if they start saying stuff back and they're swearing in it, you know, so, and then I'll, then I'll just block them. But that, that's few and far between. I, I think most people uh, – I, I think most people like the stuff I do if not just keep scrolling past it, so – it's uh, it, 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 I, I enjoy it. I love it, man. I, you have some of those conversations with your kids too. And I, I was talking to them about the, the walkouts and you know, the, the weapons and March for, for life and all that. And you're just like, you know, Hey, that's cool that you guys are organized. We said, when do you, when are you guys going to start a March where, Hey, let's all, let's all get along, you know, and let's all take yeah. care of each take care of each other and stuff like that rather than, you know, consistently marching for, for divisive things. And it was funny because all the kids in my class were like dumbfounded. They couldn't, they couldn't even really think of anything back. They're like, Oh, wow. <laughs> maybe that would be cool. And you're kind of like, well, you know, maybe it plants a seed. And I think that's what you're doing on, on, on social media is if you're just putting stuff out there and it plants a seed in somebody's mind and all of a sudden they got to think about their position or think about where they stand, or maybe now they research it, you've done your job. 
Well, exactly. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny, too. Going back to my, my first year as a head coach at the end of the season, I had had a coaches meeting, and I said, guys, I'm not going to change just for the sake of changing, but after we addressed, you know, after we, after we addressed the, the football stuff, the X's and the O's, I said, is there something you guys would want me to change? And I said, I, I want to I learn. I want to hear. And it was an awkward silence for about 40 seconds, which seemed like 40 <laughs> minutes. And one of the yeah. coaches said, coach, he said, I don't, I don't think the players respect you. And I could feel myself getting red. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, give me one example. Do they talk back to me? He's like, no, they don't talk back. I said, do, do they leave the weight room a mess or the field? Do they show up later? He said, no, they don't do any of that. And after humming and hawing a little bit, he said, they're not afraid of you. And I felt this total peace come over me. I said, those are two completely different things. <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, they respect you. But he said, I think a head coach should be feared. And I said to him, I said, I completely disagree with that. And yeah. one of the things that I'll always stand by with that is I had, I've had twice now, well, it's, I, I had to speak at a young man's funeral who did take his life, one former player, which, which I'll never forget was heartbreaking. In addition to that, I've had two young men that were suicidal that reached out to me. I had one young man that was the most unassuming young man that you would have never thought would get a girl pregnant, got a girl pregnant in high school. And, and I look back on that and think, you know what, if I had not been true to myself, if I hadn't tried, as you said, tried to plant those seeds and try to live in a, a way that empowers people, those young men, who knows whether they would have taken their lives or not, but they would have never come to me. They would have never, you know, opened up about getting a girl pregnant. So for me, it's like, like you said, that, that's what it's about, coaching, whether it's the blessing of having the young men in our program that we see on a regular basis or someone that might follow us that we're never going to meet face-to-face. If we can plant that seed and empower someone and help, just light a spark and get them going in the right direction, then I, I think we've served a, a greater purpose than most. Well, Walls, what was the story that, that you tell about your student that you have in class and, and was wanting all this change and doesn't know why everything's not safe, but refuses to wear their uh, safety ID badge? Yeah. Those are the, you know, they, they're saying how <laughs> those the, the one day I was up there and you know, I want to be safe. You know, I don't want to have teachers with weapons in school, you know, cause that was one of the, the solutions they'd thrown out there. You know, I just want to be safe when I come to school and I'm like, cool. Well, how come you never wear your ID badge to school? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, uh, well, uh, you know, I guess I can't really protest about that or something, you know, but I mean, again, it's just, you know, pointing out some of the, 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 the failings in logic that some of these younger kids have, and you know, they don't know any better. A lot of them are just, inexperienced and they haven't had a chance to, to think about some of those things. But, you know, I, I just enjoy listening to, to guys like Coach Hines, guys like Coach Harper, who are, are strong men who are, are not scared to, to say their opinion, who are very assertive in their opinion, and they stand up for what they believe in, and they don't let somebody else, you know, tell them, tell them how it is. You know, and I think a lot of kids really respect that. I think a lot of kids really look up to that because, you know what, it's not really celebrated enough in today's society. I agree. I agree. Well, it's, it's funny too. I, I just heard a song a while ago. I don't remember the artist, but part of the lyric says, everyone wants, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change themselves. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's just it. You know, if, if we not just, I'm not saying worry about ourselves, but if we all focus on improving ourselves, you know, the, the world will take care of itself, you know? No doubt. Absolutely. Well, coach, we're coming up on an hour, and we don't want to take too much of your time. So um, I kind of end all my all the episodes uh, with this same question. So, so I'll ask it to you as well. Um, when you're watching an offensive line play, what's something that they would do that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? What, what would make me think highly of their offensive line coach? Yeah, what would their offensive line be doing in a game that that you're watching film and you're like, whatever it is that you see them doing on film, that you're like, whoa, they must have a really good offensive line coach. Two, two, two things I know we're wrapping up here, but one is looking forward. You know, we talk about players, you know, offensive or often, often defensive players having their head in a swivel. You know, I, I love when you see an offensive lineman and you can see the whole group looking forward. You know, in pass protection so often, if you have a guard stepping back and no one's in front of them and their head's not in a swivel, that that's, a, that's a, not a great sign. So I love when offensive players look for work and I love when they finish. I love when a player pancakes someone and doesn't stand over them, but just gets on to the next level, or is sprinting down to follow a receiver, a quarterback, or a running back that they're never going to get in front of, but they're sprinting down there with all their might. So when you don't see them loaf, those two things, looking for work and just 
finishing, going to the next level. That's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.